been working on it for a while. Uh, well, it's great to be with you. Like uh, he said, I'm from Portland, Oregon, and started a church there a few years ago called Imago Day, which, of course, you all know what that means. Um, Imago Day is Latin for the image of God, which is sort of our target audience, everyone creating the image of God. Um, but the great thing about Portland is you have a better shot at having people come to your church to check it out if you sound more like a cult than a church. And so we went with that, which, which has worked out really well. Um, so it's great to be here. Uh, it's great to have gotten to know Mike over the last few years, hear what God's doing in your community, and to be on this journey together, really, into the kingdom and following Christ and going, where are you taking us next? And so it's, it's fun to be here in the middle of this series where you're going through the Lord's Prayer, um, but, but, but you're really in a context in Matthew's Gospel, w- which I just love in terms of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest sermon ever, and people that he's speaking to are just, they're the people who were the least likely to, to, to be in on God's reality on earth. So he's, he's, you can picture it this way, there's a hillside, and here's all these people, but they are the spiritual zeros. They're the people that were least likely to ever get picked for any kind of pharisaical party or prom, Right? The, the religious people had no space for them. And what happens when you find your life on sort of those lower rungs of the economic or spiritual or popularity ladders is that you just assume God forgot about you. And yet here he is in the flesh speaking to the people on this hill and he's saying things like blessed are you who are poor in spirit and blessed are you who mourn and he's describing their very reality but he's saying God knows, God cares, you're blessed and he turns the economy of the world system on its head. And then we get to this prayer and it is such a a moment where he says, now this God that reigns over this economy that is so upside down in his kingdom, he wants you to come to him. He wants you to know him. He wants to be in relationship with you. And so this is how you should pray. And so here's the prayer. It's uh, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's what we're going to look at today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The first prayer, why does everybody over here get ice cream? (laughs) Just kidding. It's, you got to work with the wall, man. You got to work with the wall. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, why do all the guys have their shirt off? But that's not appropriate. <laughs> so I didn't say that. So hallowed be thy name. Well, what's, what, what, what's so peculiar about this is that the first thing he tells us to, to ask is for God to do something for God. You hallow your name. 
which, which I don't ever start prayer with that. Like, God, before I get going on my stuff, I want you to have a great day. And get yourself a little something special, right? <laughs> do, do something for you. This is your time. I don't start there. And so I, I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm going, why would I start with a prayer asking God to do something for God? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to pull apart these words, hallow and name, and try to dig in and understand. So this first word, hallowed, it, it, is, a, it is a total Christianese word. I wasn't raised in the church, so when I showed up to church, I, I sort of felt like a mob boss who had been put in witness protection program in the suburbs, because um, everyone was super nice, and they call, started calling, hey, brother, hey, brother. I'm like, brother? I'm just assuming he's trying to steal my wallet or something, you know? And then they had all these, these languages. Praise him, praise him, praise him. What does that mean? And then uh, the word. Everyone talked about the word and the word and the word. And I was like, the word? What is the word? And uh, then you realize, oh, it's the Bible, but we just... So I've been in the word. I'm studying the word. And so I've heard one guy that named his bed the word... So that he just slept through church, but when he got there, he'd be like, hey, man, I've been in the Word all morning. And so, like a good mob boss, I'm figuring out how to manipulate the system, and, and even in their own language. But hallowed is one of those words. It's like, what does that mean? Hallowed. So a verb form would be to hallow, Halloween, but you're not supposed to celebrate Halloween as a Christian. And is it haloed, like the video game? What is this word? But it is a great word. It's an important word. And it's essentially a word that means weighty. If you were to unpack it, it would be all that is impressive about God that makes you attracted to him. Right? That God would set himself apart so that all that is impressive about God would attract us to him in awe, in worship, in wonder, his, the fact that he knows everything, controls everything, yet he's here, he's intimate. Like everything that you would look at and go, whoa, that is amazing that that would be impressed upon us. That's what it means to hallow God, that God would display himself to us and we would go, that is God. That is not that, is, that makes all the other things that we're impressed with seem so small because God is so amazing. Now, why is it important that we would start there when we pray? Why is it important that we'd say, God, you be hallowed, right? Let your impressiveness impress us. Well, there's, there's a, a few different reasons. One is that forever in a day, we are a people who think we should be God. I mean, the bottom line is ever since the fall of Adam in the garden and this rebellion against God, we have a heart that wants to hallow ourselves. Like, I want everyone here to be impressed with all that is impressive about me. We all are bent that way. I think it would be great if there was a rule that when you came to church, you just had to roll out of bed and come. No makeup, no hair, like don't get dressed. Some of you actually did that, so thank you. Um, <laughs> right? But that's the real us. 
okay? It doesn't look great, it doesn't smell great, there's not enough cosmetics and uh, hairdo in the world that's going to change the real me before God. But what I spend a lot of time doing is haloing myself, right? Hallowed be my name. And, and so we are, we are bent away from God, and we're bent in this competitive, like, I want to be God, and we're totally impressed with ourselves and with other people. And so Jesus, knowing that, says, man, before you begin this conversation with God, you, what, what you need more than anything is you need, him to, you need to see him and be impressed with him and understand that you're not him. I always find it ironic that we think that, that we're God-like, but if you close your nose and cover your mouth, don't do this, but close your nose and cover your mouth, like within a few minutes, you'll die. There are three holes in your face keeping you alive. That is not super impressive, right? That is like, ta-da, amazing. Like, no, it's not. You choke on a cherry and you're dead. It's over. Like, that's not God. God doesn't do that. God's not like, I need the Heimlich, please, right? No, it doesn't happen. So, so what, what Jesus is saying is when we hallow, when God hallows himself, and then we get a glimpse of him, we realize we're not him, and we can quit spending all this energy trying to hallow us and get people to be impressed with us, and we get to quit being impressed with other people. The other thing is that we are impressed with all kinds of other things, right? Like there are things that we set apart that we hallow. Advertisers, they know this. Like this, this is part of it is to get you to look at all that is impressive about this car and want this car. You never see an ad that says, this is a new car. It is average transportation super great buy it you know no that car comes with an identity it gets haloed away from the other cars it's set apart so that those butt warmers tell you it's very impressive and if you're in it you can be hallowed too right and now it's like whoa and there are things and there are people that that scripture says when we begin to hallow these other things it's called idolatry. So Jesus knows that our heart is also bent to be super impressed with small, insignificant stuff in light of all that God is. And so he says, what you need when you come to prayer, you need to see and be impressed with everything God is. So God, set yourself apart so I can be impressed with it. So I could be attracted to it because we're too easily impressed. Now, one of the big dangers here is that when this happens to us, our faith, our spirituality, it all becomes false. If God is not set apart for us in a way that we are like amazed at him and in awe of him, we start going through these religious motions. And at that point, we're in danger uh, of some pretty scary things. Here is a passage out of Isaiah 
And here's what it says. Therefore, this is what the Lord who redeemed Abraham says to the descendants of Jacob. No longer will Jacob be ashamed. No longer will their faces grow pale. When they see among their children the work of my hands, they will keep my name holy. They will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who are wayward in spirit and will, will gain understanding and those who complain will accept instruction. Now, all of this is a picture of what? That your kids, there's going to be a season that your kids will halo, right? My name, I will be hallowed before them. I, they will set me apart, be impressed with me, and, and that will change the game in terms of our relationship with the people of God. But this happens in a context, and the context is he's speaking in to a group of people who for a long time have not been impressed with God. And so here's what he says in verse 13. These people come near me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You've heard Jesus use this word of the religious people of his day. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you didn't make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? It's this picture of God speaking to people who have for long ago, for whatever reasons, cease to see this God as set apart and cease to be impressed with this God. And he says what happens is that you're going through the motions, you're playing church games, you say the right things, you're acting the part, but I know where your heart is because I know what you look like when you roll out of bed. That's the real you, and I want the real you to be before the real me. And you actually are starting to think that I don't know and that I don't see and that I don't care because you've lost, you've lost your senses of how amazing God is. And when that happens, it has a trickle effect that actually falls into our culture and creates the world in a perverted way. So he says this, in a very short time, Will not Lebanon be turned into fertile field, and the fertile field seem like a forest? And in that day, the deaf, deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. And once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The ruthless will vanish, and the mockers will disappear, and all who have an eye for evil will be cut down." When people cease to let God be set apart as God and to be impressed and attracted to all that God is, then what happens is the least of these in the world get neglected. 
the people that God cares about take the brunt of it. So he says the blind, the poor, the humble, those in need, those people are trampled over because people think that only the strong survive in this world. And there's no God to answer to. And so evil runs rampant and injustice occurs because no one is impressed with God. Our religion becomes phony and our lives become destructive and people get hurt. And so just look at our culture. Look around the world and you can see that we are not a world that has hallowed God. That there is injustice. There are people, the weak get taken advantage of. The, the powerful use power in a corrupt way. But you and I, we're in the same danger as anybody else. We can't point fingers and pretend that it's those people that have the problem. Because in this passage, he's speaking about the people of God that have the problem. When we cease to be a people that are just overwhelmingly impressed with all that God is, when we fail to set him apart and that he would be God to us, then we're in the same danger, and it's a scary place. So this invitation as we begin this prayer is to say before we even get going, May all that is impressive about God be set apart from all other things so that I'm not impressed with me and I'm not impressed with you and I'm not impressed with stuff, but what I'm really captured by is the greatness of God. And the second word that he uses is the word name. Hallowed be your name. And essentially, a name is this way of putting together everything that is true about a person. So if I say Adolf Hitler, things come to your mind, right? And, and when people say your name, things come to their mind. Because within the context of our name, our character and our life and the things we do with our life begin to bring definition to that name, and so you have nice friends, and they say nice things about you. Some people don't say nice things about you. Some of you, they say nice things, and they think bad things, right? Because we're nice Christians. But the name means something. So when Jesus uses the word name in this part of the prayer, he's saying, God, that you would be exactly who you are, not not misunderstandings of you or misrepresentations of you. That you would be exactly who you are. And I think for, for many of us, that's a struggle. I remember when I came to faith and people said, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which is totally true. And then I started reading the Old Testament and God was wiping out some people. I'm like, wow, I hope that's not the wonderful plan. Because um, that doesn't seem that wonderful. And there's these parts about God that you're like, this God, he's a wild man. 
I mean, he's untamed. He's a jealous lover. He judges sin. Revelation, he's coming back with a tattoo on his leg and a sword coming out of his mouth, and he's going to kick butt and take names. It's like, wow, I thought he was just kind of a hippie. That, or Birkenstocks was like, hey, love you guys, man. This is awesome. And, and we think, like, you can't package and reduce and sell this God. And so when we talk about God, we kind of just pull back enough that people can go, Wow, that's pretty impressive. But his big nose keeps sticking out and his feet, and you're like, eh, don't, don't go there yet. We'll get there. But the problem is, God is not trying to get you to conform God to yourself. He's trying to get us to be conformed to his image. And we're not supposed to reduce him or package him or cover him up. What we need him to be is exactly who he really is. And that might cause issues for us. Like it might, it, it might frustrate us that God does things we don't understand. You might be in a place in your life where you have huge questions with God. But here's what happens. If you, if you reduce him, like he's just hippie Jesus, or he's... Just the Santa Claus that says, come, ask whatever you want. Or he's a spiritual fix-it guy. Then you miss all that he really is. And sometimes it's the parts you don't understand, the parts that you're frustrated with, that actually he uses those questions to grow your soul in some significant ways. When I, I was down here in April speaking at Catalyst, uh, at, at the Irvine campus, and I woke up in the morning and got a phone call, and it was uh, friends of ours for, for 20 years. It was his wife, and all she said to me, crying hysterically, is, Terry's gone. Terry's gone. And Terry was, was a good friend who had been on my staff, and he was biking into work, and got off his bike at a Starbucks, for a meeting and had a heart attack and died at 52. And you're sitting there in the midst of this phone call like, what are you talking about? Like, this can't be happening. Now, if you were to talk to Sherry and the kids uh, like about the situation, they would say God was absolutely present in so many miraculous kind of ways. The girl who held him as he was passing, was the manager of the Starbucks, but she happened to be a daughter of good friends of Terry's who had worked with him at the church. They had no idea. When they get to the hospital, the chaplain is someone who goes to Imago and was able just to completely be there and knew them. They could look back and say, we experienced his comfort, his presence, he was with us. But, we're, but none of us know why. Why, God? Why do you allow suffering? Why did you allow death? Why can a guy get up in a theater in Colorado and kill people? And I don't understand that. And in my pride and my arrogance, I actually think I could do a better job than you at being God, which is ridiculous, because I, I can't really even be Rick very well. But I think, well, I could, I could figure God out. Uh, give me the universe and the palm. Hmm. So, 
So what do we do with those tension moments? Do we go, I don't want God to be like that? Too bad. He is going to be exactly who he is. And you and I need to conform to him, not try to get him to conform to us. So what do you do with those questions? For too many American Christians, we stuff them, we hide them, and and we think that we're going to be fine. But something happens down the road in your life and you realize that you have a faith that really is not built on enough truth to withstand life's hardships. And a lot of people chuck it at that point. And Jesus knows that. He cares about that. And he, he wants us, before we even get going, to go, you're going to need to deal with God on his terms and as he really is. And that's going to push you at points. I don't understand why he allows hard things to happen. I know that he calls us to live through them. I know he says he'll be with us in the midst of them. I know he gives me a hope that says one day there will be no more mourning or crying or tears and I'm going to restore all things. That that kingdom has broken in now, but it's not coming fully yet. As the great theologian Bob Dylan said, it's a slow train coming, right? But it's coming and it's breaking in. So, so what, what's beautiful about facing those hardships Why did that happen to me when I was a kid? Why did this relationship go south? Why do I find myself in this space of the unknown? Is that you have books of the Bible like the Psalms, which are the prayers of God's people, and you hear people articulate what you're feeling in those moments when you don't understand God. They say things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How long before you show up and make it right? Jesus prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, on the cross. There's another book called Lamentations, and it's all about the gift of lament. For you to to be able to grieve and go through it and be real before God. See, not not only do we need the real God to be our God, but God needs the real you to be in front of him. Not the fake you or the Christianized you, the real you. And he can handle it. He can handle your questions. He can handle your fears. And there are some of you right now that God's inviting to a deeper place. But the obstacle in front of you is that you don't like what God has allowed to occur. So the question is, will you face it? Will you come to God exactly as he is and wrestle with him in that place and let him be all that he is to you right now. When you pray this way, you're you're entering into a God-centered, God-saturated world. When you set God apart as God, that all that is impressive about him is what captures your heart and your imagination and your attention. And when you 
you come to the God exactly as he is. And you say, be that to me. Then you are the beginning of a transformational spiritual journey with Christ. And you will not end up hearing God say of you one day, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You'll stay in this dynamic place of transformation. Because the most perfect image of all that God is, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes on our behalf, lives the life that we couldn't live, dies the death we should have died, cries out on the cross, why have you forsaken me, God, as he takes our place in the wrath of God. And he overcomes our death through resurrection, ascends to heaven, lives there now as a glorified man in a glorified human body as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of the universe. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and they will call him Lord. But today the invitation to us is will we see him as Lord today? Will he be set apart so that all that is impressive about him would capture your heart? And would you let him be exactly who he is so that he can conform you to his image? It is a, it is a radical adventure of faith. It's hard. Sometimes it's a grind. Other times it's a joy. But it's real, right? Right? It's not a car that breaks down after a while. It's not a relationship that fades. It is what you were made for. It was what you were made for. So that's the invitation for me and for you today, is that God would hallow his name before we even begin to make other requests so that we could remember who he is and who we are. And we could want more of him. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning um, we stop and we pause and, and we, we see now why you have a start here in this prayer. Because uh, we so easily uh, don't see you as set apart. We're so easily impressed with ourselves and other people and not impressed with all that is impressive about you. And God, we're a people who like what we want, when we want it, the way we want it, and you don't come to us packaged, and so you come to us exactly as you are, and that's hard for us. But as we dig in, God, we see that we need more than anything is for you to hallow your name. Uh, for you to capture our hearts with your greatness, with your grandeur, with your mystery. And that you would be exactly who you are, you would be that to us. And so Christ, this morning, I pray that we would set you apart to hallow you. We would set you apart as Lord. And we would come to you. We would come to you with our joy and our confession a repentance for all the little things that we're impressed by. We would come to you with our pain and our suffering and our grief 
and, and we would be so grateful that you're, you're too big of a God, that, that you're, you're more than we can completely understand, and yet you're present with us in a way that we can completely know you. And so would you give us the courage to trust in you in those moments? We're desperate for you. And so we pray this morning, Jesus, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name in this place for these people at this time. We pray in your glorious, resurrected, royal name. Amen.